everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so happy you're here today. I am going on vacation. Yay! I have not been on vacation since we went to Park City for Christmas of 2019. And I am so excited to get out of here. We're going to Mexico. My husband, Ryan, and my son, Jack, and I are going to hang out at the beach, at the pool. We have rented a condo so we can cook for ourselves. And it is going to feel so good to not be at my house and not be in Durango and to be where the sun is shining and it's nice and warm because even though it's been a fun snow season here in Colorado with lots of skiing, I am ready for a change of pace and a change of scenery and a change of weather. Okay, enough about me. I am so excited for you to meet my guest today, Susan McPherson. Susan McPherson is a serial connector and she's the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, which is a communications consultancy company. And they focus on the intersection of brands and social impact, which is near and dear to my heart. I think all brands should care about social impact. I met her through a mutual contact, Heather Monahan. Heather Monahan was the second guest on the Reflect Forward podcast. Thank you, Heather. And she met Susan and said, oh, Carrie, you have to meet her. You two are going to hit it off. And she was right. Susan is the most genuine, authentic, and sweetest person I've ever met. And she just released a new book called The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. And it's fantastic. I read it uh, in PDF form in preparation for our interview. And as soon as I finished it, I pre-ordered a hardcover copy so that I had it here and could read it again. It's so good. It's so powerful where she teaches you all kinds of great tips and tells great stories through interviews on how to build meaningful connections. And that is so relevant today as we use technology to connect with people. She wrote the book, she started writing the book before the pandemic started, but finished it during the pandemic. So it is incredibly prevalent and I think something that we all need right now. So just a little bit more about her. She has 25 years of experience in marketing, public relations and sustainability communications. She speaks regularly at industry conferences and contributes to the Harvard Business Review, my favorite, Fast Company, and Forbes. She has appeared on NPR, CNN, USA Today, The New Yorker, New York Magazine, and The Los Angeles Times. She is a Vital Voices Global Corporate Ambassador and has received numerous accolades for her voice on social media platforms from Fortune Magazine, Fast Company, and Elle Magazine. She's just awesome. You're going to love her. She resides in Brooklyn, and I am going to go see her in New York when it is safe for all of us to travel to hang out with people because she is just so awesome that I can't wait to meet her in person to talk about all kinds of things that we have in common. All right, I'm going to stop talking, and I'll be right back with Susan. All right, I am back with the amazingly awesome, beautiful Susan McPherson. Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Carrie, I am so excited to be here, and thank you. So your book is amazing, and you're called a serial connector and a, a connection expert. How did you become that? Tell us your story. Oh, how, how long, how much time do your listeners have? <laughs> I, I have to admit that I grew up in a situation that I thought was the norm when I would literally 
fight for real estate at the breakfast table between two siblings and parents that would have the five local newspapers in front of them, where one would have a scissors and the other would have a razor blade, where each would be clipping articles that they would then, probably 10 or 15 every day, stick into the U.S. mail and send to whether it was colleagues, cousins, long lost friends, just saying, I'm thinking of you with a manual typewriter attached, you know, a written note attached in the envelope. So I just assumed as I grew up and technology became more uh, prolific, that that was the norm. And fast forward into the late 80s, when we first had fax machines, all of a sudden, I was like, wait, I can do this so much more efficiently. Although to this day, I still can't operate a fax machine effectively. I'm so glad they are no longer. But, you know, once the internet came into being in the mid-90s, it became my calling card. I would see articles and I would clip and cut and paste and add them to emails and send them. And it just also became a way that I would then connect people because I would send it to three people and say, this article makes me think of all three of you. And by the way, you three should meet. So I... I I don't know if that makes me an official serial connector, but it it literally kind of, you know, the, the self-fulfilling prophecy happened. I love that. I love that. My mom is a serial note writer. <laughs> and, and I love it. She sends my son notes and she does it just so he has mail to open and he loves reading them. He's eight years old and he has this connection with my mom who lives in the same town, literally it, it just comes in the mail instead of her like, you know, seeing him after school. But she thinks that that's just such an important way to connect, to say, I'm thinking about you. It's not just happenstance that we run into each other or I'm not just seeing you because I'm coming to this event or you know, I'm picking you up from school. I am purposefully writing you a note to build a connection. And that is so lost today because I mean, who writes who writes notes like that anymore? I know I don't, even though I tell myself I should all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think living through this pandemic is maybe a silver lining. I do think people have taken, you know, not the majority of people, but I do think people have taken a, a new approach and are much more intentional with their communications. And I do believe that Yes, many people are writing letters because we, we don't have the ability to actually go and sit down and have coffee with people. I agree with you. So I love your book. It's so fantastic. And I agree with everything that you wrote in it. And I was inspired. So tell us what inspired you to write the book. Why did, why did you say now is the time? And I know you wrote it pre-pandemic, so it's even more relevant now than it was probably when you started it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it, it was started before the pandemic. The idea of it was pre-pandemic, and then the book was written during the pandemic. So in all the interviews that were conducted, I would say it was always the elephant in the room. In, in other words, the, the 25 or 30 interviews that were conducted, it had to come up, right? I mean, it, it just was obvious. But, you know, the original thesis for the book was around this notion that we had lost the humanity of our connections. It's not anti-networking, but it's adding the humanity back to networking. And what I had started to see was just this over-reliance on technology, over-reliance on counting our worth as how many people followed us on, on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram. And then it, you know, it dawned on me, in 20 years from now, those platforms are going to be something entirely different. So all those numbers that we're trying to rack up are going to be meaningless. So 
the thing is that once the pandemic happened, guess what? It was technology that kept us together. It was the glue. It was social media that kept us surprised of, of our friends and families and, and people that we have yet to meet. But the beautiful thing is, is I think now that we finally have that glimmer of hope, that we actually see that the future um, where we can be together is on the horizon, I think we have an opportunity to take the humanity back because now we understand just how valuable and important those human relationships are to us since they've been taken away from us. But also use the technology that we right now are able to have this very meaningful and warm conversation and use it effectively. So I think if anything, you know, writing this as much as it seems so bittersweet, and I will be totally honest with you, I burst into tears two weeks ago to my sister saying, this is ridiculous. I'm launching a book about connection during the most isolating time in, in our lifetimes. But I do think we, we are at that cusp. The vaccines are, are thankfully getting distributed and injected, I guess you could say. So it is that time where we can start planning a reset and perhaps think about what these human relationships can be and how we can be better connectors to one another. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that you write in your book is, is as offering to help instead of asking for help. And one of the things that I've been doing, and I started this last year, and I am carrying it into this year and hopefully forever is saying yes to helping as much as I possibly can, whether it's to make an introduction or to take something off of somebody's plate or to lend a listening ear. And I'm doing it all through technology, right? Whether it's my cell phone or on video or even just a, a quick DM on LinkedIn. And I will tell you, I feel more connected to people I've never met before by just saying, I am going to help anybody I can. So tell us your thoughts on this and why you think it's so important in, in building deeper relationships with people. Sure. Well, just what you are experiencing, actually science proves. We get dopamine from helping others. That is, you know, proven time and time again. And I, you know, my calling card over the years has always been, how can I be of help? Now, I want to, I want to state for the record, I, I'm not suggesting we help others before helping ourselves. You know, that old adage when you're on the airplane, you do need to take the oxygen first because if you don't, you can't be of value. But I do think, you know, walking into a room, whether it's the proverbial Zoom room or the FaceTime room or Google Meets or we're back in the, the hallway of, of our offices or we're in a boardroom or a convention hall, it is so much easier to carry on a conversation when you are actually asking the other person, you know, what, what is challenging for them right now? How can you lend a hand? What can you be doing to provide assistance? Who can you be introducing them to to help them solve a particular challenge they're having? Those types of conversations not only will be more meaningful to you, but they'll actually result in some, some sort of tangible next step where you actually can be helping. And the beautiful thing, I think what you just shared, Carrie, is you, you actually can do this virtually, right? You know, I, I, God forbid we have to go through this another year, right? But the beautiful thing is, is we have gotten better at this. And, you know, that dopamine has become kind of what has kept us going. I agree with you. And so now this is the interesting thing that I found through this, the pandemic and, and this offering to help is how many people I've met because of it. So 
I met you through helping somebody who said, oh, I'm going to introduce you. So you talk about it in your book about this idea of, you know, constellations of, of connectedness. And, and I really see it clearly in how this has played out for me as, 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 as I've been trying to network virtually. And I want to talk about that. <laughs> so talk about the, this idea of constellations of connections and, and, and how it really can bring value to you. Sure. Well, one study I came across, which was very fascinating, is that even the people that you never meet, but you meet people who know them, actually affect your life. Well, there, again, science proves. So you and I have met, and you might never have met my friend Mary, but there is a possibility that Mary could actually affect you in a positive way, in, in ways you won't even begin to know, but it could happen five to ten years ago. So when I think of a constellation, I think of, you know, instead of a linear line of networking and transaction, I think of a constant evolving stories that are continuously changing, ebbing, flowing, just like stars do in, in the Milky Way galaxy and, and outside our solar system. And each of those stars has an effect on all of the little planets that surround them, okay? I know I'm getting a little kind of like loosey-goosey here, but I mean, the analogy is, is simple. You, you and I both meet and all the magic that will come from our relationship, we can't even begin to know. So the same with the, when we look into outer space, what's out there, we have no idea. And we can, we can study and predict, but it, it, it's very much the compounding of story upon story of, introductions upon introductions that, again, will lead to lots of, of roads opened and doors opened that, again, just begin to lead to more stories and more meetings. So I've never heard that there was a, a study out there, but I find it fascinating. And it makes me even want to be more intentional, right? Because just as much impact as the positive interactions and positive connections can make, right? Think about the negative ones too, right? So if you have a negative experience with somebody and you leave that imprint with them, that has a ripple effect too. So, you know, it's a big responsibility to show up to your fellow human beings with kindness and compassion and interest and helpfulness because what kind of ripple effect do you want to have, right? Right. Well, and I, I want to be careful. Obviously, I'm generalizing, and there are always going to be people that don't want the help and that feel that you are, you know, doing this for some nefarious reasons. And, you know, you had asked me earlier on why, you know, why did I write this book? And there's a whole zillion reasons, but I think one really telling factor was after eight years of running my company, I realized about 98% of our business was inbound. And it dawned on me that that isn't the norm, especially, you know, we hadn't done marketing. But I realized in my 20s and 30s, which was a long time ago, I took all those meetings. I helped out when people asked. And I didn't have the intention at that time that in 25 or 30 years, I was going to call them and be like, hey, remember that favor I did for you? Well, now what? I'm running a company and you can hire us. No, I mean, that was not even, you know, a birthed like idea at that point, let alone even 15 years ago. So I think the thing is, is there is something to be said about kindness and helping others that does come around. Yeah, I am so with you. And it's so what the world needs. The, the connections that we can build by just 
the simple connections by just smiling at somebody, it, it, it can make a day. And I just wish that more of our fellow human beings were really putting that forward in thinking about the, the impact of those connections and the impact of kindness, because, you know, the world could be such a much better place. Like we're choosing to let this be the reflection of us, but we don't have to be. And, and we can do that by being intentional about building those relationships and building those connections with people and being kind to each other. Why do you think it's so hard though? Do you think that it's like social media and everything getting amplified? What's going on on with that? Why is it so hard right now to not feel polarized? Well, I mean, there's there's thousands of books that have been written and will be written to explain the, you know, the current quandary of the political challenge of, of this country. But I think part of the challenge is we're afraid to, to, we're afraid to meet people who aren't like ourselves. We're afraid of what we don't know. And I have lived since I was very young to be inquisitive about everything and anything, probably to the point of annoying people because I've always asked so many questions. I was that little girl that was like, well, tell me why, tell me why, tell me why. The challenge is I've kept that going in all of my 56 years. And I've also strongly believed that as scary as that door is, it's worth opening. Now, I will not pretend or even begin to try to imagine how hard it is for people of color in this country, people who have been brutally um, treated and and re- been recipients of bigotry and hatred. I have not walked in those shoes. So so there is absolutely no way that I could could begin to, to, to feel what they have felt. But what I can say is in, in my world, when I have open my doors and open my heart and and encourage myself to learn about those that have extraordinarily different situations from myself. It has made me a better person. It has made me a more understanding person. It has made me a more compassionate person. And I will tell you the last six years, I have had the honor and pleasure to serve on the board of an organization called USA for UNHCR, which is the US arm of the UN High Commission for Refugees. And every year up until 2020, I would go to visit refugee hotspots so that I actually could meet and understand and be able to really be empathetic with refugees from Syria who were living in Jordanian refugee camps, refugees who were fleeing Venezuela to find safety and food and shelter in Colombia, refugees who'd been living for 20 years in refugee camps in, in Kenya and Uganda. And these people are just like us. They have the same hopes and dreams. But those experiences helped me really understand that we are all the same. So therefore, for me, it's never been about, well, I'm not going to talk to that person because that person is different. Like, that's just not how I've looked to the world. And I think when we, when we do look at the world with an open heart, we are so much going to be improved upon, right? We're going to learn things that we didn't know. I am so with you. And it makes me, it it brings up to me some of the experiences that we're having right now within Stone Age. We actually hired a company called The Second Story Project to help us create our own diversity, equity, and inclusion program. And they have this whole different methodology. It's all around storytelling and connecting on the individual story. And and I think that's so powerful because I think people have gotten confused with 
you know, mass connection with mass communication and just putting posts out there and putting emails out there. And that's just so not true, right? We have to come back to these individual conversations. And so we've been going through this, these exercises of really being able to connect when we have discriminated against somebody or when we have been discriminated against, whether it's uh, a microaggression, whether it's overt racism, and and it's amazing what happens when you just start connecting on these individual stories. And it's mm. hard. It seems really like time-consuming, right? Like, how am I going to affect real change if I just have to walk in somebody's shoes, one-on-one with them, and these connections and with these experiences to affect a, a bigger change? But it's so true. If we don't share our experiences and listen on an individual basis to each other, then how do we expect to be able to go out there and do that to the masses? Yeah, yeah. and ask anyone else to do the same. Of course. Yeah, and we all want to, I I want to be understood. So if I'm not feeling understood, why would I try not to understand other people? And it seems counterintuitive, but I think... I think that's a really important message is that we are all so much more similar than we are different if we just stopped to examine the individual story. So let's talk about networking now. So many people dread networking and I know that you say that the traditional networking is dead. Uh, and so what do you mean by that? Did I say and- that? I think so. <laughs> maybe somebody said it for you, but uh, uh, maybe it's, uh, no, it wasn't. You didn't say it was dead. It needs to be turned upside down, I think is a better way to put it. <laughs> turned upside on its upside down on its head. Thank you for correcting me. Um, so how do we go about changing it, and especially in the face of the pandemic? Well, I, I will say we we. we we're not going to stay like this forever. Okay. And I do believe we have a glimmer of hope that is coming sooner than we think. And thankfully the vaccines are, are being distributed and the hope and everything I read is that by midsummer, we will be in some semblance of, of quasi normalcy. Does that mean we're all going to be, you know, 5,000 of us all in one room? No. And I hope not, but I do think on small gatherings that we will certainly be able to get together and hopefully we can travel and see people. And you know, I think I think of networking almost as taking, you know, the proverbial spaghetti and throwing it against the wall and walking into a convention hall or conference, you know, or what have you with a pile of business cards and just seeing who you can meet. And you know what? There will always be a place for that. Okay. I mean, there's always going to be a time where you're going to be walking by and, you know, somebody, you may notice somebody has a lovely sweater on and you just start a conversation. And lo and behold, you both went to the same college and, you know, you both have puppies and you have a conversation. That That is great. And that will always continue. What I dive into very deeply in in the book, The Lost Art of Connecting, is this notion of building deep, meaningful, long-term relationships that span the test of time, that like the constellation that you just alluded to, actually have connections to each other and build upon each other. And I, I went into a very deliberate methodology because it's a business book. And when you write a business book, you're told you have to have a methodology. But I realized, you know, looking back at my life, this is very much about what I have done. And I've lived various places. So I have used this methodology when I would move and move to a new town where I knew no one or started a new job and knew no one. And that was first and foremost to really kind of do your own self-assessment, almost an audit of what it is you're hoping to accomplish. 
you know, what, what do you want in a year? What do you want in five years? And who are the people you want to surround yourself with to help you get there? So I would say the beginning part of the book is very me, me, me focused, right? Because the other important thing to figure out during that time is what separates you apart? What makes you special? What makes you unique? And I call it your chief differentiating factor. We all have them. I don't care whether you just got out of college, you have, you know, barely $100 in savings and you're starting your first job, or if you are a CEO and you're looking ahead at, at retirement and, you know, you have 30 years of, of professional professional life behind you. I think it's still important. And I think this changes, right? I mean, we, we grow, we adapt, we, we move through challenging times. But the good thing is, is every single person, every single one of us has something to offer. And also during the gather portion, and this was more from my own insecurities and feeling of being left out in various times in my life, where long before social media, I developed, and I'm sure you and other people you know, fear of missing out, right? I mean, we all know what it was like in high school when there were parties we didn't get invited to. And and then it became 20,000 times worse when we could see it happening in real time, you know, various social media. So I developed an idea of instead, why not be the convener? Why not go ahead and make your own gathering or your own party or your own lunch? So I turned FOMO upside down and called it JOMO, which instead of joy of missing out is actually the joy of meeting others. And when you are the person convening, when you're the person bringing people together, and mind you, you can be an introvert and do this. This doesn't have to be 50 people. This can be three people, and then you can ask three people to bring one person each. And you can do this online. You can do this virtually. At that point, you don't have FOMO anymore. So once you get past the gather and being able to bring people together, that is when you move to the, the next phase, which is ask. And we already talked a bit about this, but the importance with ask is Instead of when you're chatting with someone, again, whether it's online or in in real life, instead of talking about the weather or what the person had for lunch today, you know, why not ask someone, how are they doing during this pandemic? What has been challenging for them? What help could they need? Is there someone you could introduce them to that could be helpful? And I, I will state, you know, Yes, there will always be one person who'll be like, whoa, 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 I'm not answering those questions. Those are too personal. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about that. But the most most people that I have encountered in my many years of living is that people will be appreciative. But then don't just like ask and not listen. And then without boring your listeners, the third part is the doing, which, you know, there's a joke that on my epitaph, it's going to say she got S-H-I-T, shit, I can say it. Oh, <laughs> and you know what, if that's what it says, that you know what, that would be a good thing. I'd be happy. But that is following up. And that follow-up doesn't have to be instantaneously immediate. I typically do it right away because if not, I will get caught up in the next thing. But it can be a week later. It can even be a month later. But it's also following up again. And one of the things I've been doing throughout this pandemic, which actually I think probably I've been doing more for my own psychological wellness than the recipients, is just reaching out every day to about five people via text, via email, via regular mail, via phone call, and just saying, you know what, I'm thinking of you. With no expectation of a response, but somehow I get off on it, and I feel good about that. Yeah. I love this one. It, it's such a it's such a great example. And when I was reading the book, 
it it resonated completely with me when i moved from austin texas to durango I was a complete mess. I was, I got myself into financial trouble. I had substance abuse issues and I wanted to start my life over again. And here I was coming to this tiny little town where I knew nobody and I didn't even know how I would get a job. And I literally went through your process, even though I didn't know it at the time. You know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna find out all these people who I could network with and reach out to them. And 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 for those who accepted my, you know, my, my request for a meeting, I went in and I asked a bunch of questions and started to ask how I could help. And then I got an interview at Stone Age and I had met with the board of director and then I did this follow-up and I got the job and here I am 14 years later, like living my very best life. And I literally followed that method. Oh, and so <laughs> but that's but I think like you really hit I think you really, you know, touched on something. You articulated it so well. And I know that that it resonated with me as I was after I read the book, I was like, that's exactly what I did, and I didn't even know that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's just such great practical advice for improving your life. <laughs> I mean, I, I look, I think if I had had these tools when I was younger, it probably, you know, when I was fresh out of college, it, it might have helped. The thing is today, we have so many assets at our disposal that we didn't have when when I certainly, and, and I'm older than you, but when we got out of college, there wasn't LinkedIn. And, you know, I had to go through Rolodexes to find, or excuse me, yellow pages to find contacts of who to call. And then there were gatekeepers. I was joking four or five years ago when, when President Obama was, was in office, you could tweet to him and you might get a response. When else in history could you actually just send a note directly, right? I mean, so for, for those of you who are about to go embark on when we are back out in real life, but you can also do this when you are on, you know, Zoom events and, and Google Lives and, you know, Microsoft Teams, when you're on these events, you can do research before and you can look up and see what that person has been putting out in the world so that you can, again, fine tune your conversation with that person. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. and. I've also gotten into the habit of watching that, uh, watching body language too. So then I can start to try to like imagine like what's going on in that person's head. And if it's somebody who I know and I could see like something is off, you know, for some reason, like it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's just really pronounced on, on a zoom call. And yeah. it's such a great way to be able to just do that connecting about, Hey, I yeah. just noticed on this call, like, you know, you seemed off. Is there something going on? And it's amazing what has come up by those little things, by just observing, knowing, knowing the person and observing what's going on. Well, that, that good for you that you do that. And I, I do think, I mean, this definitely is a challenge to keep people on camera all day, every day. I mean, I always say to my team at my company, you, you do not have to be on camera at every meeting. Okay. We used to do fine talking to our clients on the phone. There, there is no requirement, and and I think just knowing that it's okay helps. Yeah, I'm with so. you. I'm with you. I've even gotten to the now where I say if I have a, just a one on one, we're not going to do a Teams call or a Zoom call. I'm going to go out for a walk while I talk to you and just like get a different perspective of not staring at a computer oh, yeah. screen. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you know, walk and talks are wonderful. You do. You hear different things and and come up with different ideas when you're connecting with somebody without having that computer screen be between the two of you like it is now. 
know. Yeah. I know. But I can tell you, I am so excited to like meet you in real life. I know, me too. Like, I really, really am excited. <laughs> We're kindred souls. So do you think that, that there are going to be people who struggle with building connections after the pandemic is, is over? What happens when all of a sudden, like, I have to go back out into reality and I don't know how to do this? I, I, I think some people will. I mean, I, but I do honestly think it's like riding a bike. I mean, we've been doing it our whole lives. So I think it's a matter of just getting, you know, getting on it and trying. I also think because of the nature of this pandemic, we are not going to all of a sudden throw ourselves in, you know, a convention hall with, you know, a thousand people. I, I think we'll start small. We'll start with our immediate families. We'll start with our close friends, which, if anything, will be un, uh, filled with joy. Right. And I do think we won't it'll be a while before we take advantage of that time together, right? Which, or, or, or take it for granted, excuse me, yeah. you know, that, that will be a long time coming, you know? So I, I, I think it'll be, yes, it might for some people, certainly people who are introverts, they, they may feel shy or trepidatious, but give it a week. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be so excited to talk to somebody face to face, to hug somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been alone this entire, I've been alone now 12 months. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, and for someone like me who just, I love, I, I just love people. I mean, I study people, I guess you could say. Yeah. And to have that just taken away has been, has been certainly hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have, you know, I have a, like, income, I have a home, I have a beautiful puppy, but you know, I mean, loneliness is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so how have you been dealing with it? I mean, have there been times that you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. well, of course, I have been walking like a fiend and, you know, yes, it's good for me physically, but I also think it's been, it's allowed me to see people, right? And I have a dog that's nicknamed Norm on Cheers. So she says hello to everyone. So it forces me to have conversations with perfect strangers all day, every day. So that has been a huge solvent. And then um, earlier last summer, I started a gathering of about 20 friends. And every Friday night, we would get together and either you know cook dinner together or have cocktails together or catch up together. And that pretty much lasted all the way through late fall. And we still occasionally get together. But that has been... That has been truly a, a panacea to have that. Yeah. But that's an example of, you know, I, I put it together. I reached out and said, hey, let's start this. I mean, it, it, I'm not suggesting, I mean, it's not novel. I'm sure millions and millions of people did things like that. But that was, that helped feed my soul. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I remember this was early in the pandemic and one of my girlfriends was like, I need to have a happy hour. And so, you know, we're on Zoom and she's in her closet and she's got her drink. And she's like, I just have to get away from my kids and talk to an adult. So they are locked out. And I told them for under no circumstance, can you interrupt me? Because I have to talk to like one of my girlfriends right now. <laughs> and it was so such a, a, a good release for both of us and that craziness of the beginning while she's in her closet. And, and it was just so important to still reach out, even if we all like, oh, I hate using Zoom to have to do this. Like it is such a powerful tool to stay connected when we can't see each other face to face. But I think what you just demonstrated also was the ability to be vulnerable, yeah. right? I mean, I think we've known, if anything, I mean, people are so much more open now. 
I mean, and, and think of the business community. I mean, my, my company, we do social impact communications, and there's been such an uptick in interest, which I think is a long time coming. But I think, if anything, if the business world can become more kind, more compassionate, more open, more accepting, all of us will benefit. Oh my God, we could do an entire podcast like series on what businesses can do to a better place. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, I'm going to be here for a little while longer, I think. Uh, I do want to talk about listening for another minute because I was actually just at a podcast for, with somebody else and she asked me, what is your worst leadership trait? And I said, talking too much. And then I don't listen. I'm mean, really working on it. Especially I noticed just how much I talk when I'm on Zoom, talk, looking at myself talk all the time. I, I know a lot of people have this. Like we all are, are not great listeners, but some people are worse at listening than others. So what advice do you have for people like me? <laughs> well, first of all, don't ever say you talk too much because it's a gift, right? You, you, you know, the, I grew up, I had a D, I got a D in conduct in fifth grade and I had never had anything below a C, let alone a D. And I thought my life was over. I literally thought I was never going to graduate elementary school. I was never going to graduate high school. I mean, talk about deranged child that I must have been. But, you know, it, it is good to speak. It is good to speak our mind. It is good to have a voice. It is good to share our, per our perception. But I will say, listening is one of the most difficult activities for humans. And when you add all of the, you know, all the devices that we have, all the interruptions, all everything, it, it even makes it harder. But I have found what is most effective to me to ensure I'm listening is I always now take notes. I take notes. Whether I'm a, I carry a little notepad, and maybe that's because, you know, I'm of a certain age, or I type it into my, my, my iPhone or, you know, my whatever device I'm using. And I find that that forces me to listen just by the sake of writing it down. Even though I'm going to just rip it up and throw it away, maybe because the conversation isn't part of what I have to do that day. But I just find by doing that, it forces me to pay attention. And we're much more likely to remember it if we write it down. Oh, so you may want to try that, you know, even if it's just plotting notes. Yeah. That's such a great tip. And I do. Every time I take notes, I find that I do retain so much more. So it seems obvious, but I think it's, well, it's great advice. And when you're writing it down, you can't be checking your email. Exactly. You can't be checking Twitter. You can't be looking at Instagram because you're actually physically doing something else, right? Now, I will say I've known... I have in the past, in complete confession, been doodling while I'm listening. And then I am actually planning my next vacation, which is not what I'm suggesting you do. <laughs> yeah, I've been guilty of that too. <laughs> well, we're all human. Exactly. Nobody, nobody needs to be on all the time, for God's sake. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we need to cut ourselves some slack too. I mean, there's only so much that you can just cram into your brain in a given day. <laughs> So what was the most surprising or interesting thing that you learned as you were going through all of the interviews for your book? Because you interviewed some really amazing people. So what, what yeah. surprised you? Well, I, I, honestly, every single person brought unique and, you know, wonderful, fascinating um, ideas. I will say the, some of the research actually was what was so surprising to me. And the fact that actually our connections help us live longer. It, they actually help us 
you know, live longer lives. I mean, obviously not if we have pre-existing, you know, all the rest, but it is, it is, it is the opposite of what loneliness does to our body, which is essentially like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So, I mean, to me, if there was ever a reason you needed to want to build meaningful relationships, to live a longer life might be what gets you over the top to realize the value. It also actually, and many, many studies concluded this, that it, professionally, it helps you so much. And actually having a boss who is a connector will actually help you advance through your company, whether you continue to work for that boss or someone else. I found that to be very, very interesting too. We don't always get to pick our bosses, but it is something to keep in mind if we are working for a corporation and we have the opportunity to perhaps apply for a position within another company you do want to work for someone who is a known connector. Yeah, I, I really liked I really liked that part of the research as well. I've seen it play out in my own career by working for a boss who was a connector and working for one who was the opposite of that <laughs> and the noticeable differences. And then thinking through how I help my employees, you know, whether it's in, in any situation, being a connector really has made a profound difference. And, and I appreciated that bit of research in the book because I can really see how it plays out and I can see people who are managers with my in my company who aren't and how it impacts the people on their teams and so that's something that's really important to try to help them develop is that how do you build connections so that it has that constellation effect absolutely absolutely and yeah I'll tell you just a quick story this is more on a personal note but I had a a friend I got to know and we got to be good friends years ago and I would introduce her to all my other friends and she once said to me, Susan, I learned something from you that I never learned and that was I was always afraid to introduce friends to friends because I thought they would then leave me out. And that stuck with me because that that's not what this is about at all. I mean, you know, yes, you have falling outs with people, that's going to happen, that's life. But I've never, ever, ever been afraid to introduce someone for fear that then I'm out of the equation. It's probably happened, I, you know, <laughs> that, that's just, again, life. But the point is, is to me, I don't own any of my connections. They're all free human beings that are roaming this planet. And it's a gift to be able to introduce people to one another. I'm with you. What a powerful story and how vulnerable she had to feel sharing that with you. I mean, that's pretty profound re uh, realization, I think. Yeah, 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 well, brave, brave, exactly. right? But I, you know, I'm a pretty, like, I don't know, people have always felt comfortable telling me stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my superhuman power, too. People are like, I, I came into your office, and I was not going to tell you. And the next thing I know, I'm spilling my yeah, You're telling the whole thing. <laughs> I love oh, it. That's funny. I love it. If you had one piece of advice to give to leaders who want to become exceptional leaders, what would that be? Start building connections, meaningful connections that matter and count. Yeah, such great advice and so true. And it will make your life such a much better, it doesn't make your life so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything, it will make your life more interesting, yeah, sure. okay? <laughs> I like that. More interesting. <laughs> All right. So how can people find you? Um, I am on the social web, Susan McPee one internet, Instagram, you know, LinkedIn. I'm Susan McPherson. My company is McPherson strategies. 
which is www.mcpstrategies.com. And the book is coming out March 23rd, and it is with the label McGraw-Hill. That's fun. It can be found on any books any any bookstore that you so desire to shop. I, I can't wait. I read I read the uh, the PDF version that you sent to me, and I have my my pre ordered copy ready to ship. I'm sure uh, is. <laughs> um, well, you know what you're going to get is the the recipes from my late mother in the back of the book, which are very very special. So you'll have to. I don't know if you're a baker, but you'll have to make them. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> all right. We'll see. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was so inspiring to talk to you and congratulations on the release of your book. It's, I know you have to be relieved and excited all at the same time. And terrified and terrified. Can we add that to the, to the trifecta? Anyhow, Carrie, this was a joy. Please let me know how I can be of help to you. And I look forward to meeting in real life and, and continuing this dialogue. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, hang tight and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Susan. She is such an amazing person. I'm so glad I have gotten to know her a little bit better and I can't wait to be able to travel to New York to meet her in person someday when that is safe to do. And I really recommend that you go get her book, The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. It's filled with all kinds of interesting research and interviews and you'll walk away with all kinds of nuggets of goodness. So enjoy the book. Okay, on to my question. It comes from a lady, young lady on LinkedIn who said, I'm questioning where I am professionally and personally and struggling to figure out exactly where I want to be and what I want to be. I know I can be a strong leader, but I don't feel like I can do it in my current organization. I'm not sure if it's appropriate for me to be reaching out to you on LinkedIn, but I could use some advice on taking the next step in my career. So first, yes, it's totally appropriate to reach out and ask those types of questions on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is all about connecting, particularly on the professional level. And so if you are inspired by somebody you see on LinkedIn, reach out and ask questions and, and build those connections. You will be surprised what kinds of doors will open and who you will meet and, and what kind of advice you can get. So don't be afraid to reach out on LinkedIn. Second, I completely understand where this young woman is at. I was there when I was leaving Austin in 2006. I was definitely at a company that wasn't the right fit for me from a cultural perspective. Leadership was not inspiring to me and the role wasn't really suited to my talents and strengths. And so it led to a lot of dissatisfaction, which led to more bad choices. So when I left, I was determined that I was not going to move into a position that created that same sort of environment for me. I wanted to find a company that was the right fit from a cultural perspective, from a leadership perspective, and one where my talents and strengths were really aligned with the role because I know how destructive it is when you are miserable in your job. And so my advice to this young lady is to find a company that can help you achieve your goals. 
being inspired by leadership, feeling like you have the opportunity to grow and to feel happy in your job and fulfilled in your job is so important to your overall well-being. In fact, it's hard to be happy and healthy in life if you're miserable in your job. It doesn't matter how many great friends you have and what kind of shape you're in. If you hate going to work every day, it will have a tremendous impact on your overall health and outlook on life. So I think that a cultural fit is something that is important. And it's not to say that one culture is better than the other. It depends on the person. Some cultures are great for certain people and really not so great for other people. And there's no right or wrong. It just is. So if you're feeling like leadership isn't going to help you find new opportunities and really help you develop those leadership skills, then find an organization that will because life is way too short to be miserable in your career and to feel like you're in a dead end job, even if it pays well, (laughs) Um, because it's important to know that you are valued and that you are making an impact and that you are included and that you can fulfill your dreams. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that's all i have for you today and i look forward to hosting you on the next episode of reflect forward 